0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler and back with me today to break down this big matchup against the Florida Gators in Jacksonville is my longtime co-host Curtis. And guys, let's go ahead and get right to it. We got a lot to talk about today, and I want to dig right into this. And you guys know this is a big one. Sure, they're they're all big these days with the college football playoff because you just can't afford any more than, than maybe one loss, at least to this point. But this one against Florida and Jacksonville, I think it is safe to say this is the biggest game on our schedule this year. As I mean, as it is most years, because more often than not in recent history, this game decides who goes to Atlanta to represent the division for a shot at the SEC East crown. In eight of the last eleven seasons, it's been either Georgia or Florida that has represented the East in Atlanta, and this season, at least right now, looks to be shaping up in a very similar fashion. Win this one. And we can still maybe drop another one along the way and still find ourselves in the SEC title game. But if we lose it, even if we win out after that, our chances to make our third straight appearance in the SEC title game are essentially eliminated because Florida, they would have to lose two more conference games down the stretch. And their schedule after our game is not that difficult. Yeah, they gotta go to Missouri, but they got Vanderbilt and that's really about it. So if we lose this one, it's, it, it's pretty much over for us. So yeah, it's a big one. And since that is indeed the case, our goal today on this show is to give you as detailed of a breakdown of this game as you will find anywhere. We're gonna be talking personnel, numbers, matchups, storylines. We're gonna break it all down for you guys. And this, to me at least, I mean, it's obviously an intriguing game, but it's particularly intriguing this year because the national narrative surrounding these two teams is very, very different. Florida, they're the one getting a lot of love out there the national media. While we are kind of like the forgotten team that like, no one even brings up anymore— when they're talking about the college playoff after our loss to South Carolina. And it's, and it's a bad loss. And to a degree, I get that. That really was. I mean, God, they're not going to make a bowl game. And that was a bad loss. And Florida's loss was to the number one team in the country on the road. But if that's how you're looking at it, which I know a lot of people are, that's a very surface level approach to looking at this game. Earlier in the week, I broke down the stats for each team to this point and in every major general statistical category, and it was 12 of them that I listed from total offense and defense to scoring differential and even to offensive and defensive first down rate. And pretty much in every every one of those 12 categories, we are ahead of Florida. We're ahead of them. But we are often influenced by what we've seen most recently. And recently, we haven't been great on offense. There's no doubt there. We haven't been. And so that one terrible offensive performance against South Carolina, that's driving the entire national perception of our program right now. So I think it's just intriguing. It's interesting to think about how these two teams are viewed right now on a national level, even though Vegas has us as almost a touchdown favorite. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into the actual matchups that will decide this game. And we're going to start with the Florida offense versus our Georgia defense. And let's start that discussion with some general offensive stats for Florida they are 52nd nationally and 6th in the SEC in total offense. They're averaging 419 yards a game on offense, but only but they actually are down from a year ago where they averaged 426 yards a game, which, again, it's odd. Like Everyone's talking about how Kyle Trask has changed the entire Florida offense. This offense is is, is so much better than where it was last year, but statistically, not really the case. It's kind of like pretty much exactly where they were last year. Uh they're also 35th nationally in yards per play, 4th in the SEC, averaging 6.26 yards per play. And guys, again, they averaged 6.23 yards per play last year. So right in line where they were a year ago. They're 45th nationally and 6th in the SEC in scoring offense, averaging 32 and a half points a game. Well, last year they averaged 35 points a game. So right about where they were last year. Uh, from an advanced statistical measure, they are 68th nationally in offensive efficiency. Again, 39th last year. They're not as efficient as an off, of an offense as they were last year because they can't run the ball as well. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, they're 45th nationally in touchdown rate, 71st nationally in, in first down rate, and that's a big drop off from where they were last year. They're actually 11th nationally in first down rate last year. They're only 71st right now. They're 53rd in available yards, and they're 6th in the SEC and plays of 20-plus yards. So kind of right in the middle of the pack there. Okay, so that's where Florida's offense is as a whole. But let's take a closer look at the specific matchups. And first up, let's break down the Florida passing offense versus our passing defense. And, Kurt, this is where I want to bring you in here, my man. The growing narrative around this Florida program is that Kyle Trask is a better quarterback than Felipe Franks. That's increasingly becoming the narrative – More so each and every week, and that he's been the difference for this offense. How much are you buying into that narrative, Kurt? I mean, I think he's
1: a better passer, yes, but to me, he actually still makes quite a few mistakes. I mean, in my opinion, the the changing, the uh, the real change in LSU game was that pick he threw in the end zone on a terrible play. Um, But even then, I mean, their offense—it's their offense—has been improved, yes, but it's not like it's like more dynamic or anything in particular. I mean. Against um, Auburn, it was really the big the big run play at the end. I mean, he had a his pocket presence is not great. Uh, so, I mean, I think he's an improved passer, but I just don't know if like he's a that much of a step up behind what Franks was.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the numbers. As you're right, when we went through the numbers there, the Florida offense really isn't that much better than what they were last year. If in some cases they're actually not better, if you, depending on what category you're looking at, statistically speaking at least. But if you look at their passing offense, this is an area where they have improved, at least statistically, from where they were last year. Right now, they're 28th nationally and third in the SEC in passing offense, averaging 277 yards a game. That's up from 83rd nationally last season. They're 31st in the country in yards per play, third in the SEC, I'm sorry, yards per pass, and third in the SEC uh, with 8.2 yards per pass. They're 13th nationally uh, in completion percentage at 68.5%. 68th in offensive efficiency, with they 39th last year. All that stuff. What I would say about Trask, I think, I, I think, I, I think you and I are kind of on the same page here. I think he stabilized the passing game. Is that fair to say? Would you go that far? Um. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Yeah. I mean, you're right. He still does make mistakes. Let's not forget this guy's still very inexperienced. I think he's got four or five stars under his belt right now, so he does make some mistakes. But I'll say he doesn't make as many as as Franks was making. And my take on Trask really is this simple I think his floor is higher than Felipe Franks, but he's got a lower ceiling long term than what Franks have. And I think what I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think Trask is going to make those wow plays that Franks would every now and then pull out, but he's also not going to make those debilitating, confounding mistakes, at least as consistently as Franks. I mean, Franks was good for at least one or two a game that if it didn't cost his team a game, put his team in a very, very bad position. I mean, against Miami, go back to week zero against Miami, uh, that was a tight game late. And it looked like Florida had stopped them uh, in the fourth quarter. And all they had to do is essentially just run the clock out and not make a mistake. And then what does Felipe Franks do? Flo, uh, he throws a mind-numbingly idiotic interception that should have cost them that game. That He was fortunate enough that it did not. So Felipe Franks is always good for one of those things. Like even if you were down against Florida, you always feel like you were still in the game because hey, Franks, he might throw one to you, right? Yeah. Traf, uh, and you're right. I guess LSU, that that was a bad pick in the end zone against LSU. I was actually re-watching that game last night one more time before get re- getting ready for this show. And that was a bad one. Uh, and he knew what it Me, Like he was like pissed at himself. You could see it. He was just kind of just like exasperated that he had even threw that ball. But he doesn't make those kind of plays as consistently as Franks was doing. So yeah, I, I don't think he has the ceiling that Franks has. But I think his floor is higher than Frank's. That's kind of how I would put it there. But I think he has stabilized the passing game. They're averaging uh, 277 yards passing this year versus 213 yards last year. Trask, though, uh, some of those numbers are with Frank's before he got hurt. He's only averaging 198 yards a game uh, through the year, which is seventh in the SEC. He is fourth in yards per attempt. 14 touchdowns to four picks. The big difference here is that he's a more efficient quarterback. He's completing 68% of his passes right around that number versus 59% for them last year. So that's why I say he stabilized the passing and the passing game for before last year was very hit or miss and it missed more than a hit this year. It's they may not be dynamic necessarily throwing the football, but they're stable and they're good and they can be dangerous and they don't make the mistakes that they've made in the past. But looking at Trask a little bit more in depth here, Curtis, you did a good job breaking him down there but what like in particular what are his strengths and what are his weaknesses what is he really good at and where does he struggle still um i play?
1: think he's pretty good in his decision making he makes a decision pretty quickly and gets rid of the ball so i think that's where you um it is hard sometimes to get pressure on him but like i said he to me in my the two things i think he lacks on is his mobility then which that is part of why he uh struggles a little bit when it comes to his pocket presence because he's he's very he he's stuck in mud when he's in that pocket
0: And they'll try to run with him a little bit. We'll get to that a little bit more when we break down their rushing game. But he does not move nearly as well as Felipe Franks does. You say what you want about Franks, and I've ripped that guy plenty because I don't think he's very good. But he was at least a threat with his legs. And I kind of figured that out late last year. They have started using him uh, at the beginning of this year. They were using him in that way. But he obviously goes down, and, and, that, and then the rest is history. I, I think you're right. The, the biggest strength for Tras for me is, is that decision-making, as you mentioned. He's a much better, much more consistent decision-maker than Felipe Franks was at any point in his career. He's also a similar size to Franks, a like different body type, I guess. But he's also big and tall. I don't think he's much more accurate as a passer. Felipe Franks was and that's what I think those two factors is his accuracy and his decision making ability that's why his completion percentage is much higher than anything that Franks had ever done in his career one thing where I think he does struggle uh, and I noticed this when I watch him and then I found some numbers and guys like pro football focus I, I know I've talked about this before I don't exactly like I somewhat kind of buy into what they do because I just don't know what they're like when they what out their grades I don't know what their methodology is like what what methods are they using how are they grading these guys I don't know if there's a ton of transparency there so if I'm not exactly sure how you're coming up with these numbers and these grades I kind of hes- hesitate to throw them out there but I'll throw these out there because it kind of aligns with what I see with my own two eyes when I watch Kyle Trask play quarterback and it's that like he struggles under pressure according to Pro Football Focus He's got an 86.3 grade when he's got a clean pocket to operate in. That grade plummets to 29.3 when uh, when he has under pressure dropbacks and 47.6 on dropbacks where he is blitzed. So I think if we can get pressure on him, that is going to be a massive key to this game. And he struggles there. And that makes sense because he is still a very, not a young quarterback, he's been around for a while, but he's a very inexperienced quarterback. We all know the story, right? The feel good story about he never really started in high school and Never started in college until this year, and France goes down. So, yeah, he's done some good things. He's a good quarterback, but he does lack experience, and I think that he doesn't have that comfort level when there's when there's bombs flying at him in the pocket. So I think that's one thing you certainly have to watch for when we, when we go up against Florida this weekend. Uh, and real quick before we move on, Kirk, look at the quarterbacks we've faced so far. Like Where would you rank Kyle Trask? Eh, I'll probably go with second. I think that's my
1: My fair. book? Yeah, behind book. I mean, Halinski is gonna be better, but he's still freshman, um, and so and I don't think that anyone else we have faced compares to those two.
0: Yeah, I agree. Right now, uh, Trask is better than helinski I don't know long term if that's going to be the case, but right now, I, I would say the Trask is, is ahead of where Helensky is. In book and Trask, it's a toss up there. I, I had that in my notes here. I think I I might put like a one one a like it's it's. You could argue either guy. Ian Book is kind of up and down. Obviously had a horrible game in the, in the downpour, so I think he kind of throw out against Michigan. Played really well against us, was kind of in command there. But I'd say he's he's either the best quarterback we've faced so far this year or kind of just a, a hair under Ian Book, it, however you look at it there. So I think he's certainly up there. But while Trask is obviously a big part of what they are doing offensively this year, he has a lot of help around him. Especially in the passing game, make no mistake about it, guys. This Florida offense has become a passing offense, which is different from years past under Dan Mullen. So, Kurt, talking about the options around Kyle Trask, how would you rate those receiving options that he has to work with?
1: Um, I mean, they're probably the best receivers we face this year. I'll be honest;
0: I don't know how anyone could argue with that. Um,
1: and they stick out to me really because of the difference of the tight end. You know, Notre Dame had a good tight end, but I think that Pitts is just different because he's more dynamic.
0: Pitts is a true, like, new-age tight end, right? Spread him out, that type guy. He can play in line. He does. But he's not a particularly effective blocker. He's fine. He's competent enough. But he's a guy they really want to get you matched up, uh, you get him some favorable matchups, get him on the outside there and make things happen. That's what he is. Whereas Cole Komet is more of a throwback tight end that can also go out there and make plays. We can play in line as well. So they're different. Uh, but Pitts, is he's the number one guy I have on my list here. We're talking about the options they have on offense around Kyle Trask. He's actually their leading pass catcher with 35 catches on the year, 391 yards, receiving four touchdowns. And they've really been making great use of him lately. Um, he's got 22 of his 35 catches and 230 of his 391 total yards receiving in the last four games. So he's a guy that they're really trying to target of late, and I expect him to be a major part of their game plan this week, especially if you factor in how a guy like Cole Komet, although there are some differences between those guys, but Cole Komet was able to have some success against us in the passing game, I think Kyle Pitts is a more dynamic receiver, as you mentioned, and uh, I, I'm fairly certain that they're going to try to get him some, some, favor- some favorable matchups. And That's one guy that we're going to have to watch out for. As for receivers, though, Curtis – who are the guys that you're watching out for?
1: Um, I mean, you got your big play threat, um, especially now that Kadarius Tony's back. I mean, you ha- he's more of your big play type guy that you got to watch out for. Um, but to me, their go-to guy is no doubt Van Jefferson.
0: I think when they need a first down, they're going to go to him. Him yeah. or
1: Pitts.
0: Him or Pitts, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and another guy to mention, Freddie Swain.
1: No, oh, yeah, nobody
0: talked about him coming into the year. He's really become, like, a big play threat for them. He's averaging over 16 yards per catch, four touchdowns on the year. Uh, Averaging just a hair under 50 yards a game. He's had a couple – kind of like Pitts – He's really been become more of a feature part of their offense of late. So they really do a lot of damage out of that slot position, whether it's Kyle Pitts, whether it's Freddie Swain, whether it's Kadarius Tony coming back this week. They get they really have to get Tony involved in the, in the screen game, the Wildcat game. I mean, that's happening, guys. I'm telling you right now, they, be ready for the screen game, especially with with Swain and Tony. Against LSU, they use the screen game to great effect. There are a couple of second and third longs where they throw – it's almost like a, it's not quite a slip screen, kind of. Well, basically they just – they they have two receivers out to one side. Swain's out there. They run one receiver deep to run off the cornerback. They release the tackle. It's a left tackle or right tackle, depending on what side of the field they're on. And uh, they release that guy to block the cornerback that's on the receiver. And it's kind of a little slip screen. And there was a third and 19, I want to say, in the fourth quarter where they were trying to come down and get back in that game. And they, and they actually converted on that play. It was an early in the game, there's a second and long, they converted on that. So it's coming, guys. I'm telling you, Dan Mullen loves the screen game. He's got the personnel to do it with Swain and now Tony Toney coming back. So watch out for that. Uh, and you mentioned Van Jefferson. Uh, he's got 27 catches, 331 yards, three touchdowns. Not as much of a big play threat as the other guys, but don't get me wrong, he can make plays. And he's a pro-table receiver. Got good speed, good size, good hands. He's a really good player. And th- I guess what stands out for me the most, other than just you know, these individual guys, is what they do together. They have so many guys out there. Because we even mentioned a guy like Tyree Cleveland, who's now a senior. A couple of years ago, that was their number one receiver. Now he's just another guy. But he's still a guy that can make plays. Trayvon Grimes is a former five-star recruit. He's at Ohio State, transfers down to Florida. He's a guy that can make plays. He's got great speed. Uh, and then, so if you look at it all in totality, they've got four guys on this roster right now with over 20 catches. they got three guys with over 300 yards. And I know we're a different offense, obviously. But, guys, we only have one of each of those categories. We only have one guy with 20 catches, and that's George Pickens. We only have one guy with over 300 yards receiving, and that's George Pickens. So they're throwing the ball more. This has become a passing offense, and they have the weapons to do it. Like It makes sense. With the personnel they have, it makes sense for them to start throwing the football uh, a lot more than, than maybe Dan Mullen has done in the past. Um, I also want to say real quick, guys, before we move on to, the, uh, to Florida's rushing offense, double moves are coming. Right, Curtis? Are you with me on this? They are, that's coming.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing that's killed us.
0: Yeah, you could go back to the Tennessee game where there's a LeCount getting beat on that double move. Uh, that was an eye-discipline thing. Devon Wilson getting beat on the double move. Another eye-discipline issue uh, against South Carolina that was one of those things. I mean, that should never have happened. So we have been, and there are a couple other plays where it's happened. We've gotten beat on double moves, but they haven't been able to convert. So there's no doubt what to, to prepare that they have, Watched every one of those plays, and they know just like we just laid out, that's something we have struggled with. So they're at least going to test us there, especially if we're going to try to get up in their face, like like Kirby likes to do. That is coming. So we have got to play with the eye discipline. We got to play disciplined football. We have just got to to be prepared for that because it's coming. It is coming, and uh, that's one thing that does concern me in this game, especially with this Florida passing offense. And before we move on to the next matchup, I do want to remind you guys about Vivid Seats. We are in a tough stretch run, guys, with a ton of big games coming up. We've obviously got Ford this week, but next week we've got Missouri coming to town in another big SEC East matchup. We've got to head to the Plains to face Auburn in a couple of weeks. got Texas A&M coming into Athens for the very first time since they have joined the SEC. So a ton of big matchups down the road. And if you don't have your tickets for those games yet... Vivid Seats is the place to go. They have the best selection, the best prices, the best customer service. And on top of that, they have started to offer a new Vivid Seats rewards program that allows fans to earn credit back. It's simple. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app and fans will automatically be enrolled in the Vivid Seats rewards loyalty program. And when it's time to buy new users can use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. All right, let's move it over to the Florida rushing offense versus our rushing defense. And, Kurt, as much as the Florida passing offense has improved this season with Trask at quarterback, their rushing attack has actually taken what I would argue is an even bigger step back, going from 27th nationally last year, averaging 213 yards a game, to 90th nationally 11th in the SEC in rushing offense, only averaging 142 yards a game. They're 75th nationally in yards per rush, only 4.3 yards per rush. They had 231 yards rushing against Tennessee Martin, but they have not gone over 160 yards rushing in a single game since that point. And that game was against Towson. Uh, And they're actually only averaging 3.84 yards a rush against FBS teams. They've only had one 100-yard rushing effort from a single back all season long. Michael P. Ryan had one hundred yard game earlier in the year and that's it. So Kurt, like this is weird for a damn on offense. They've typically been very run centric. What has been the issue for the Florida rushing attack this season? How do you explain the major drop off?
1: I mean, first off their offensive line is not very good. Um, you, we talk about how good their passing game is, but it, their offensive line is very, very bad. So that's what hurts them, especially in the running game. Cause they don't open up the holes to get around. Um, no. And totally then second agree. off, I just don't believe that they're very good running backs in general. I'm going to be honest.
0: I mean, you, I may say that and they'll go notes, for yeah.
1: 500 yards, but I just don't believe they are very good. Like, they would be number ones at other places.
0: I totally agree. You, you're, you like, in my notes here, man. I don't know if you're in my Google Doc, but they're, you're right. I have them right now. I think they're average at best, at best, on the offensive line. They do not get much movement at all. Uh, they're not a dominant group, really, at all. There's not a ton of athleticism, especially at left guard. John, John Forsyth. We'll talk about when we get to um, some of the keys here later on. He's a guy whether there's – honestly, the passing game, I should have mentioned this, uh, that's a guy that we can exploit in the, against their passing offense. I really believe that he does not have any quickness whatsoever. LSU made him look like a fool out there in that game. And it's not just that. I mean, really, almost every single game. He is really, really susceptible to any sort of speed rush whatsoever. And also in, in the running game, doesn't get a ton of push out there. They're not that good on the offensive line. At running back, you're right. They're average at best, also. They're, they're solid. They're decent. They're not bad, but you're right. Like, who else are they starting for in the SEC? Like, at least among the contenders in the SEC. I don't know if they are. Michael P. Ryan's their top guy with 99 rushes on the year, 461 yards, 4.7 yards a carry. And for me, like, here's the other big part. So it's, three, it's a, it's a three pronged answer here. They're average on the offensive line, they're average at running back. And here's the big one they are limited in the quarterback run game. That's where losing Felipe Franks hurts them because Yeah, he, numbers. Game. Absolutely. And you know what, Damon, like, look at look at who he had at Mississippi State, right? Yeah. I mean go back to Tim Tebow. He his offense, kind of like in a in a similar way to Gus Malzahn, maybe not quite as dependent on on having a mobile quarterback, but his run game is dependent upon having a running quarterback. He's at least capable of putting putting an offense that can be pass heavy. Gus Malzahn has not shown that without having a running attack. But uh, his running attack has always been based on a quarterback who can run the football and be a dual threat guy, whether it's Dak Prescott, Nick Fitzgerald, Tim Tebow, whoever it is, Felipe Franks last year. But they're very limited in the quarterback run game now, and that's where they miss Felipe Franks because at least one and sometimes two or three defenders are completely taken out of the play by the threat of the quarterback run. They have to... Pay attention to what the quarterback is doing and account for him in the run game. If it's a zone read, the quarterback's reading the backside in. Sometimes it can be a play side, defense, a tackle. There's different guys you can option off of, but whoever the quarterback is optioning off of, whoever he is reading, that guy is completely taken out of the play and they don't have to dedicate a blocker to him. So it's effectively giving offenses at least a plus one scenario in the box where they have the numbers advantage and then on top of that there are times like if you watch Wisconsin against Ohio State last week where their linebackers were so concerned about Justin Fields running the ball even though Justin Fields did not run wild on them they were so concerned about what he could do and focused on him that the linebackers were very hesitant to actually fill in the hole and follow their reads because they wanted to account for Justin Fields' And the ability that he had to pull the ball and take off and create big plays in the run game. So what you had, the effect was is J.K. Dobbins had like mac truck size holes to run through, in fact, like triple Mac truck size holes to run through. And he was basically getting to the second and third level untouched, time and time again. And he had a huge game. Everyone's talking about how great J.K. Dobbins is. And don't get me wrong, Dobbins is a really good athlete, he's a good back. But when you have holes that size, which are created because of what the quarterback run game gives you, because you are taking defenders out of the equation, you're basically not even having to run against a couple different defenders, that creates a massive advantage in the run game. And that is what Dan Mullen's offenses were almost entirely built out of at Mississippi State. And to a lesser degree, that was the case last year. We didn't see it as much early in the year, but later in the year, they really went to that quarterback run game and their, and their overall rush offense became much more effective because you just open up more holes running backs. It makes average running backs look really good. Well, this year, Florida doesn't have that ability. With Kyle Trask, yeah, he's a competent-ish runner, but he is not at Felipe Frank's level as an athlete. So without that quarterback run game, you see average offensive lines and average running backs get exposed for what they are. And that is what Florida's running backs and Florida's offensive line, that's what they are. They, it's basically, it's a very similar group to what they had up front last year on the offensive line. And it's essentially the same group of running backs they had last year, minus Jordan Scarlett, but P. Ryan got a ton of carries. He was their primary back last year. And they're down like about 70 plus yards rushing the ball per game this year. And that is because they do not have the quarterback run threat with Kyle Trask. So the offensive line is now having to consistently win with either even numbers, which they're having a tough time doing even that, Or if they're down a player and the defense has a plus one scenario in the box there. They are not good enough to win those those scenarios consistently. And the running backs aren't good enough to consistently make guys miss in the hole and go out and spring something and make something happen on their own. They're just not that good. So what that amounts to is a running game that's taken a huge step back from a year ago. And that is where they miss Felipe Franks. No, not in the passing game. Yes, Trask is a better passer, a more competent passer a smarter quarterback when it comes to throwing the ball, but they really do miss Felipe Franks and his ability to run the football because that was really what their, that's what Dan Mullen's running game is based around. Right now, Dan Mullen is operating with probably about a third of his overall playbook. At least he won't tell you that, but in terms of the running game, he's operating with maybe a third, maybe a half, whatever, uh, of the playbook because they just don't have the quarterback run element. And that's why they're having to bring in Emory Jones. But it's now it's more difficult, at least with, when you had Felipe Franks. Yeah, you could run him, but he, at least they had, he had the threat of the pass involved. When they bring Emory Jones in there, you know what they're trying to do. They're bringing him in there for the run game. And yeah, he might run a couple times and try to hit you once over the top, try to take a shot down the field. But he's coming in there more often than not to run the football. And they'll try to run – Trask a little bit to keep defenses honest because LSU they try to run a couple options. Actually, late in the game, they were trying to uh, stay alive and get get the game within one score. They uh, ran a, a, a speed option on the goal line. There it was on fourth down, and they got stuffed because that's not what Trask does. Like he's mobile enough, he's functionally mobile, but he is not a true dual threat quarterback. He's he's a little bit quicker than Jake Fromm, but not that much quicker. So I think that's a big part of what's of what's going wrong with this Florida rushing attack. But uh, well, let me ask you this real quick. How do you think we match up with their run game? Do you think we're going to be able to hold them in check or are they going to run wild on us? Because a couple I, years ago, it happened.
1: I think we should be able to hold them in check. I mean, I think we're a little bit stronger on the outside linebacker position and also at the line of scrimmage. I think we have some guys that know their duties.
0: Yeah, uh, I tend to agree. I mean, if you look at what where we are as a rush defense, right now we're top five nationally, guys. We're top five nationally in rush defense. Nobody's still to this point. And it'll, it'll change at some point. Somebody's going to score rushing touchdowns. But right now, we're still the only team in America who has not given up a rushing touchdown. We are very, very stout against the run. And Florida doesn't run the football very well. I'll say this, if Florida is able to find a way to run the football on us, we aren't going to win this game. We're going to have to rely on our front. I would like to be able to rely on our front six to keep this rushing game in check without having to rolling one down because they do have some options on the outside that can, that, can, that can beat us. There's no doubt. I like to have all hands on deck in the secondary and not have to worry about you know rolling up into the box and, and create one-on-one opportunities on the outside because that's where they can really hurt us. So I feel pretty good about it. But Dan Mullins had an extra week to prepare. he's, he is a good offensive mind. Say what you want about him. I don't like the guy, but he's a good offensive mind. So, but I I still feel right now, the matchup has to favor us. There's, there's no doubt in my mind there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore
1: deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment
0: that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I
1: didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
0: many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
1: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
0: All right, now that we've looked at the Florida passing offense and the Florida rushing offense, let's go ahead and, and look at this as a whole. If you are Kirby Smart and Dan Landing Curtis, what is your game plan to slow down the Florida offense?
1: Realistically, I'm going to try to do a too high safety to not allow them to beat you with a big play. You're going to have to make trash continuously, throw down, make the throws. Um, And I think that you're going to have to create pressure, but you can't do it by blitzing... Um, especially bringing safeties and quarterbacks and things like that, but you are going to have to mix up your uh, your stunts and different things like that in the front seven, your blitz packages. But you also have to keep the guys in there. Like I don't know how much Adam Anderson may play in this game because he's not one that's going to be able to hold up on the edge. Um, but you're going to have to get guys that can do both things.
0: Jermaine Johnson, Nolan Smith, those guys, absolutely. Yeah,
1: you're you're just starting to see people like Jermaine play more. So because their versatility is more so is more so what we need defensively than what unfortunately what we're getting from Anderson
0: yeah you're right man and you mentioned it. it's a, it's a it's a tough catch 22 because obviously I threw out the numbers there Kyle Trask is not nearly as effective when you pressure him his numbers drop dramatically but the catch 22 is they also have enough skill weapons to make you pay if you don't get home to the quarterback when you bring pressure so like it's weird if you want to pressure him you really do because he's, his numbers aren't nearly as good but that also creates one-on-one opportunities on the outside for a pretty good group of wide, a really good group of wide receivers. A group that's probably, the, like you mentioned earlier, the best group that we face to this point. But I, I think you know you got you got to take the risk with that, with that significant disparity between trash numbers and grades when operating from a clean pocket and then when under pressure. I think that's a risk that we're going to have to take. Like in an ideal world, yeah, it'd be great if we were able to pressure with just our front four. But I'm not sure we are built that way up front, nor do we scheme things that way with our largely two gap defensive scheme. Like what we do is we put a premium on, on fitting run gaps with structural integrity as opposed to penetrating upfield and creating havoc. That's just not what we do up front. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, I will say again that left tackle John Forsyth, he's a major liability for them in protecting Trask blindside. LSU had a field day against him. And so I think it's possible that guys like Aziz Ojolari, Nolan Smith, we've had huge days against him and really affect him. So I do think we're going to have to force the issue there. And while I do respect the floor wide receivers, I, I also have confidence. I have confidence in our back end, especially if Tyson Campbell is back and maybe not rusty. Kurt, do you think, like, do you think Campbell's going to play? Uh, yeah, I think he is. How much do you think Russ is going to factor into how he plays if he does? I think he's going to play too, but how rusty do you expect him to be? Um, I think he may be rusty, but at least he's had more than a couple
1: of days of practice.
0: Would you take a rusty Tyson Campbell over DJ Daniel right now?
1: Right now, I have to say yes.
0: I think so too. Just the length and the athleticism there. I mean, Cam, uh, uh, DJ Daniel's done a, a, a good job for us. He really has. But Campbell just brings another level of of athleticism and size out there that Daniel just doesn't have. So if he's, I hope to God he's he's ready to play. It sounds like he is, and uh, I hope he just is ready to go out there and make some plays. There's no doubt. Uh, but like, it's going to be like, it's good. Like, we're going to open, like, with us blitzing them, that's going to open us up to being hit with big plays. And they're probably going to hit one or two. And that's going to happen, guys. If we come after them and try to affect the quarterback, they're probably going to hit a big player too. They, they did it in most of the games this year. But as long as we just limit those and don't let it become a common thing in this game, I'm still going to take that trade off. And I'm not talking about going zero coverage. And under no scenario should we ever go into zero coverage in this game. That's not going to work out well for us. But we need, like you mentioned, you know, mix up how we're, where we're bringing pressure from, do run some stunts and some games up front, and, and just try to affect the quarterback however we can. Because I think that is going to be a very important key in this game. I also think it's going to be important to win on early downs, like it is essentially every game, but it may be even more so in this game to force them in those third and long situations. Because, like I said, like in standard downs, like we're not typically trying to affect the quarterback, like get after the quarterback in standard downs. It's third and long situations where we get much more exotic with our pressures and get more pass on the field to affect Kyle Trask. So I think it's going to be early for us or important for us to win those early down situations to get into third and long where we can have a better chance to to uh, affect him. They like to use twelve personnel at times, which you know they, what they want to do is try to get you to match up with your bigger personnel defensively, and they try to get matchups there with guys like Kyle Pitts. But I would still go with base nickel uh, with their playmakers on the field just because I don't think that. They're good enough up front to make us pay all that much in the run game if we come out in a nickel. So I think that's what I would probably do. And, again, it's going to be really important to be able to slow down their rushing attack with the front six so we can come out there and try to match up with some of the playmakers they have on the outside. But, all right, let's go ahead, Kurt, and let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. You know, Kurt, we all know. We've had our issues on offense over the past two games. And this Florida defense, while not really statistically elite, They're still very good, and they have a couple of potential game changers on that defense. So if you take only the last two weeks into consideration, we apparently have no chance to do anything against this Florida defense, at least according to the experts out there. But, Curtis, our offensive staff has had two weeks to put a plan together. If you are James Coley and company, what does that plan to attack Florida's defense look like?
1: I think one thing you're going to have to do is I think realistically you're going to try to use their pressure against them because you know Todd Grantham, his biggest thing is always blitzing, he's always trying to create pressure, bring pressure. But you're going to have to hit them where the pressure's coming from. I think that's the biggest thing to take advantage of his over aggressive philosophy.
0: And that's what happened last year. You want to think that Todd Grantham learned from that because he tried to come after Jake last year after the LSU debacle and Jake carved him up. Because Jake typically does that against teams that try to pressure him. I mean, listen to this stat, guys. Against Todd Grantham, coach defenses going back to Fromm's freshman year when we played Mississippi State and Grantham was their coordinator there, and then last year against Florida, Jake Fromm is a combined 26 of 36 for 441 yards and five touchdowns, zero picks against those Todd Grantham defenses that like to bring pressure. So you want to th- you would think on one hand, yeah, Todd Grantham should probably learn from that, but at this point is. Isn't Todd Grantham just Todd Grantham? I
1: was just say, that's who he is, that's what he's always done. He's not gonna change for anything because that he believes in his system, which I mean, okay, good. Um, but and I think the biggest thing is, is we are going to have to attack them on the edge because if you especially I like they have some great pass rushers, especially on the edge, but I don't believe that they're great at stopping the run. So if I'm James Coley, I'm not attacking them up the middle. I'm trying to get more of halfback stretches and things like that on the edge to go right at these people.
0: Interesting. All right, let's, let's, let's it, it go well, a little bit more in detail with, with what you're talking about there or some of these matchups. So let's let's look at this rushing offense. Our, our rushing offense is Florida rushing defense. If you take a look at, at how we match up there, Florida's 31st nationally in rush defense, given 124 yards a game. We're 16th nationally in rush offense. They're 44th nationally in yards per rush. We're 5th nationally, averaging over 6 yards per carry. Um, and here's one area where they might actually have an advantage over it. Actually, they do. We're 113th nationally in power success rate, which, and again, if you're not familiar with that, if you're new to the show, power success rate is percentage of plays on a third and fourth downs with two or less yards to go that you convert. We know we've had our issues with short yards. We're 113th nationally there. Florida's been good. They're 20th nationally in that regard. So there are the numbers. But do you, I, I still, like, I feel really good about our ability to run the football against this Florida defense, don't you? I mean, you have to or you like to. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect like how much success do you expect us to have on the ground against them?
1: I mean, I think they're going to go all out to stop it and try to force Jake to beat them. I mean, that's everyone's MO since we've had Jake.
0: Yeah, that's going to happen, especially with some of the well, the the now countrywide narrative apparently that our receivers can't get open and maybe there's some of that that's true sure but they might be a little overblown at this point but i'm with you i, th- I expect us to have a lot of success on the ground you're right they're gonna try to go all out in and, and sell out to, to stop the run there's no doubt but i'll say this like they're they're undersized uh for like their interior of lineman guys are not very good they're undersized they're okay they're fine like Kari Car- clark is fine he's okay uh but they're not at all dominant uh Zuniga, Jabari Zuniga, who gets a lot of publicity for them on that defense. He's coming back from injury. We'll see how how healthy he is. Only he's had an extra week to rest up. I expect, I, you know what? I I'm expecting him to be hundred percent. We'll see, but I just kind of expect guys to be ready to play against us. But if, if he, even if he is hundred percent, they move this guy around. They even play him inside at times. Like I've seen him play three tech, which I don't get because he's not big enough. Like he he gets just. Moved offline line of scrimmage, but he's a boomer bust run defender because what he tries to do, he tries to penetrate with his. Because that's his, that's his skill set. He's quick. He uh, is very, very quick. So he tries to penetrate and disrupt in the backfield because he cannot anchor. He's not big enough to anchor on the defensive line. So for him, it's it's boomer bust. It's either a big tackle for loss or it creates wide open running lanes. And so for me, I would run a lot of, of zone runs at him because when he tries to penetrate like that, zones will be able to work because going, it's going to allow us kind of just wash him out of the play. And in the middle of the inside linebackers, I honestly, I think they're pretty average. Like David Reese is the best of the bunch, but I don't think he's an elite linebacker. He's been playing for a while. He's experienced. I don't think he's particularly effective moving sideline to sideline. And he he can fill a hole if he doesn't get blocked, but he doesn't really get off blocks all that well. And, and all the other guys, they basically have a four-man rotation. you got Reese, then Ventrell Miller usually starts with alongside Reese. You got Amari, Bernie, and James Houston. They're all okay like they're kind of like i would equate them to almost what we had last year honestly i don't think they're very good so we should be able to have some success running the football and before we move on guys i do want to quickly remind you guys about my this line in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party it's been moving all over the place right now it's sitting at six points we are favored by six points on my bookie right now so if you're feeling good about the dogs if Go to mybookie.ag today and show just how confident you are in our guys to get the job done. And now is the best time to get on the action. It's pretty simple, guys. All you got to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up, and use the promo code OVERTIME, and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME. It's that simple. You type that in, new users get their first deposit doubled. mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so we just talked about how we expect to have a good amount of success running the football, but the big question here, and this is the part of our offense that everyone's been freaking out about the past two weeks, and Florida gets a lot of love about being DBU. and The national perception is clearly that we have just no chance against their secondary. So, Curtis, are you in line with that thinking, or is that more of an overreaction right now?
1: I mean, we are going to have to be creative. I mean, we got shut down by – south carolina the thing is that we cannot always just look to me right now the biggest problem james coley is he's never looking underneath he's always trying to hit the big plays um that's really what he's being called or the play calling he's is going for and so i believe that we can have success passing but we are going to have to be creative because if south carolina can shut us down then florida sure as heck can and that's why we're going to have to find a way to get our uh, our playmakers the ball in space
0: yeah, I mean, everything you said there is very true. I, I do want to say I, I kind of agree with Kirby, and he says this a lot. It's true. A lot of what we do offensively in the pass game is based on how defenses try to defend us, and we've got to take what the defense gives us, which is what you're supposed to do. And a lot of times when they come after us and try to stop the run, what's there are those back shoulders, the over-the-tops, all that kind of stuff. But I think at some point we have to start forcing the issue, and some of those outlets need to be across the middle where there's more space. So we just don't want to attack enough of the field. So I'm totally with you there. Find ways the the ball to playmakers in space. Especially on standard downs, uh, I think that's where we need to really improve. I didn't even run a bunch of RPOs. LSU again, go back to that game. LSU just runs a lot of RPOs by principle now, but they really, really hurt Florida with the RPOs. Auburn had it well. They had they had the, the plays were there for Auburn, but Nix just couldn't convert because Nix is not good enough right now. Um, but yeah, like look and going back to that South Carolina game, I actually, I think the South Carolina cornerbacks are pretty comparable to what the Florida has at cornerback. And I know Florida's cornerbacks get a lot of love. But I think what, what they have at South Carolina, I think those guys, J.C. Horn and McQuamo, those guys are really good. So I know we have a lot of issues there, but, again, those guys are really good. Uh, on paper, this should be tough for us. They're 33rd nationally in passing defense, give 195 yards a game. We're 62nd nationally in passing offense. Uh, they're 43rd nationally in yards per pass loud. We're actually pretty, uh, pretty good in yards per pass. We're 31st, 8.2 yards per pass. This is what kind of concerns me a little bit, though, Curtis. The sacks, the sack rate. How concerned are you with our offensive line against those uh, those Florida pass rushers, Grenards, Iga? those kind of um, guys? I am I, I am a little concerned because, as you
1: mentioned, they're not big, but they're quick, and that's right now where our, our line struggles the most.
0: Yeah, if, if there is a, a kryptonite for our offensive line, it's maybe those quick pass rushers for sure. I, th- I still think Andrew Thomas is fine there. Isaiah Wilson does give me a little bit of concern. We've seen him struggle at times, occasionally. I think it's a little overblown at times, but he has struggle at times. You have to be honest there with maybe some speed rushers. Uh, but they're ninth nationally in sack rate. They lead the SEC right now with 29 sacks, actually by a pretty wide margin. Next closest team is Auburn with 23 sacks. But here's the thing. We are first nationally in sacks allowed. So this is a good-on-good good matchup right here. Florida is really good getting after the quarterback, and we are best in the country right now in protecting the quarterback. If you look at their sack numbers a little bit more closely, they only actually have two sacks against power five teams with winning records. And in those, I will say though, in those games, Jonathan Grenard, who is their best pass rusher, transfer from Louisville, he did not play in those games have to be fair. Um, but again, we are first in the SEC, first Ashley and sacks to allow uh, we, the next closest team to us is Auburn. We've given up only four sacks on the year. Auburn's given up nine. So we were up there by a pretty wide margin and get this number 19 the 29 sacks the Florida has on the year came against Miami in week one with their porous offensive line and a, and a freshman quarterback who didn't know how to get rid of the ball, UT Martin and Towson, 19 or 29 sacks. So they've got 10 sacks in five SEC games. So in SEC games, they're only averaging two sacks a game. And, yes, I know Grenar was hurt for a game or two and Zaniga was banged up a little bit, but they haven't been nearly as successful wreaking havoc against SEC offenses as they have against the Towsons and the UT Martins and the Miamis of the world. So just throw that in there. But I, I, they are good. They are good. Don't get me wrong there. But that's something to certainly watch out there, watch out for as well. But going back up to the question I asked you a few minutes ago, Chris, how would you attack this Florida defense? I love what you said there. I agree with just about everything you said. I would add a few things to that. If I'm James Coley, I'm totally going to try to attack the middle of the field, get our playmakers a ball in space, absolutely everything you said there. But in particular, I'm going to attack the linebackers and their slot DBs. Now, Trey Dean was the guy that opened the season for them in that nickel – uh, defensive back spot but against LSU uh, and lately what they someone's dealing with injuries and also some of his performance uh Kyrie Elam the true freshman the guy that we were after pretty heavily late in the process last year he's up going to Florida he's out of Florida uh, he's out there playing a cornerback opposite CJ Henderson and they said Marco Wilson who was at the cornerback position he is now playing that slot DB that nickel position so Still watching them play, though, that is an area, whether it's Marco Wilson, whether it's Trey Dean, that's an area that I think we can we can exploit. The linebackers and their slot receivers. Linebackers are not particularly athletic. I think we can have an advantage there if we'll just actually use our playmakers in space and, and try to match up uh, against those guys. I think we have an advantage there. Uh, as you mentioned, Chris, I would run right at them. I know nobody wants to hear that because we're all so tired of running up the middle, Run up the gut, Run up the middle. I get it. I get it. I know everyone's frustrated with that. But I think it's the right move in this game. But here's what I would say. Run at them, but do it from spread sets. I don't want to see any 12 personnel looks with two inline tight ends and everyone crowded and tight. If I see that one time, I might lose my freaking mind. Okay, We don't need to see that at all. Because what that does, it gives them an opportunity to crowd the box, which is what they want to do. What we need to do is spread them out, force them to defend the entire field. And if we do that, we're more than likely going to get six guys in the box. And if that's the case, we are going to maul them in the run game because they cannot, if they only have, if they don't have the numbers advantage, they cannot consistently hold up against our offense line. It's just not going to happen. But that's, we're not going to have that scenario if we try to get everyone in a phone booth where all Florida has to do is defend a small segment of the field because it allows them to load the box and operate with unblocked defenders against the run. And I don't care how good our offense line is, we talk about this ad nauseum throughout the year, no matter how good our line is, if there's unblocked defenders, they're going to make the play. So to, to uh, counteract that we need to spread it out and run from those looks. I'd also work in the screen game because they are going to, as, as we talked about, Grantham is going to try to come after. He's going to dial up pressure, go with the screen game. I think we can hit some plays there And, and Florida is going to like, they're going to dial up pressure. They're going to put their cornerbacks on the Island. They just are. But as I mentioned earlier from has murdered people more often than not when they blitz him, because he knows where to go with the football. So I, I think that's how I would go about attacking this Florida defense. We'll see if James Coley and company are seeing the same things we're seeing, but that's certainly how I would go about it. And finally, we always like to wrap up these game preview shows with a 3 2 1 segment where we give you three reasons we are optimistic about our chances in the game, two reasons for concern, and one key to the game. So, Kurt, I'm going to let you open us up here, man. Give me three reasons you are optimistic about our chances on Saturday.
1: Um, I mean first I got I have to have faith in our defense um I believe that right now they've kept us in games this year um number two, I am gonna go with Jake fromm as you know we haven't gotten his a game the last couple games but I still have to feel comfortable having him back there for the most part knowing that he can take care of the ball and still knows what to do for the most part and been in these high high stress situations um and then number three, I think desperation um I think that our team is desperate it's, it really comes down to that.
0: I, that's actually the number one on my list. I have, I have what I call a situation slash psychology of this game. I, I'm big on that. Uh, I just have a difficult time seeing a scenario where this team does not show up. I have a really hard time seeing that scenario. We've backed ourselves into a corner, guys. We have. Our, our guys have gone from, in the short span of just a little over two weeks, our team has gone from contenders to national afterthought. We've been ripped for two-plus weeks. Our offense has been left for dead. Apparently, we have no chance – Ford has just passed us by now. Dan Mullen's the greatest coach of all time. All of that has been marinating. It's been marinating for a couple of weeks now. You mix in all of that. With all that, you mix in all the off-season trash talk from that trash in Gainesville, all those whatever they got down there, Mixing all of that. I guys haven't forgotten about that. Curry ain't letting them forget about that. And we've had a bye week to use. We can use that to our advantage to build our – our, our, our psychological approach to this game. And I have a hard time believing that we're not going to be ready to come play this game. I have a really hard time believing that. We also had the bye week to make adjustments. I've mentioned this before. It's really hard to do that in a single week because you have to actually game plan for your opponent. You don't have as much time to spend on yourself. Well, we've had time to spend on ourselves now. It's the first bye week we've had since South Carolina. So I'm very curious to see how we come out. I can't guarantee that we're going to win this game. I can't. But I strongly feel that we will show up to play and we're going to punch him in the mouth. We'll see if it's enough, but I I feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, Second reason to be optimistic, very simply, is just the run game. I love the matchup there. Uh, If if we try to – Put everyone in a phone booth, put then I don't uh, then who knows because they'll be able to, to load the box and have unblock defenders. But if we can just spread some teams out, spread them out and run from those looks, I feel really good about our offensive line. We have even numbers against the Florida front. I think we can we can really have a lot of success there. And then finally, with with two weeks to work, I feel really good about Kirby and our defensive staff's ability to create a game plan to attack a very inexperienced quarterback. Kyle Trask has been good. He has, he's he's a good quarterback. He's a better passer than Franks. I'll give him that. But he's inexperienced. And I really like what Kirby, his his defensive mind, the rest of the staff, with two weeks to put a plan together to attack him and focus on his weaknesses, I feel really good about their ability to find something to really give him issues. So that's what I'll go with there for my three reasons. All right, Kirk, on the other side, give me two reasons that we should be concerned in this game. Um, First off, the past
1: two games for us, um, I think that's going to make you concerned. And then, number two, I'm going to go with Florida skill players.
0: Yeah. Uh, are you talking about their skill players offensively? Yeah. Yeah. And those guys are dangerous. So we're going to have to try to pressure Trask. But if we do that, there's going to be some guys somewhere in the field. Somebody's going to have one-on-one. And they are good. And it's going to be tough to tee to them all under wraps. There's no doubt there. They have a, a ton of playmakers that can, that can do some things for them. Uh, for me, my two reasons. Number one, I'm going to go back to what this is. Now, this is kind of the group thing. But I think it's true to a degree. Our wide receivers are gonna to have to find a way to get off press coverage against a good group of, of, of secondary defenders. Those guys are good. I don't know if they're quite as good as everyone makes them out to be, but but they're good. CJ Henderson's gotten beaten more this year than he had at any point last year, but they're still very good out there, borderline elite. And our wide receivers are still young. They're talented, but they're young. I think it's gonna be really big to potentially get Lawrence Cager back. If that's the case, I feel a lot better because he's shown the ability to do that. But we're going to have to – because they're going to press us. They're going to press us, and they're going to put their quarterbacks on an the island. They're going to bring some pressure, and we're going to have to find a way to beat it. So th- that's a concern, though, because we haven't done it consistently recently. Uh, and also, I guess the second thing for me would be the speed rush. I feel good about our offensive line. We have a really good line. Of people who have kind of beaten them up a little bit lately. But th- these guys are still really good. Number one nationally in sacks allowed. Number one nationally in sack great. So I-, I feel good, but those Florida – defensive linemen are good too they have speed rushers Grenard, deniga that can give us issues so it's at least something to be concerned about and can at least be watching moving forward in this game all right Kurt, And finally give me one key if there's one thing you're looking at that's the key to winning this game and taking control of the sec east what is it
1: you're gonna have to throw the ball with success is it that simple for you yeah because that'll open everything else up Throwing maybe i'll say
0: you. throw on early down okay i got you man i got you absolutely And look, obviously, there's never just one thing that wins a football game. But if there are keys to this game, I think two stand out to me. Number one, can we pressure Kyle Trask or at least affect him while also limiting big plays? And then also, as you mentioned a little earlier, Curtis, can we win enough one-on-one on on the outside? But if I had to pick one of those, I would say like the one biggest key to this game is kind of what I was talking about earlier on in the show. Can we pressure Kyle Trask? If we can get pressure on him, I think we can have a good deal of success of limiting what this Florida offense can do because they, again, have become a passing offense over the past couple of weeks, increasingly. So they still run the football. Even though they're not having a ton of success running the football, Dan Mullen is smart enough to realize that for his passing game to be as effective as it needs to be, he has to at least present the threat of the run. So even though they're not breaking off chunks of yards, not gashing teams with a the run, they're still at least trying to run the ball 30 or so times a game. But make no mistake about it. This team's greatest success offensively has come throwing the football over the past couple weeks, and that's increasingly become the case. So it's going to be critical to slow that down. And if you look at Kyle Trask's numbers, as I let out earlier on the show his numbers, his passing grade takes a nosedive when he's either pressured or blitzed. So for me, it's pretty clear we have to try to do that. We have to bring pressure. We have to try to affect him in whatever way we can. Now that obviously does open you up to potentially getting hit vertically down the field with some big plays. Also with their screen game, their screen game is very effective. So as I mentioned earlier, this is a catch 22, but it's a risk I'm willing to take. We have to pressure Kyle Trask and find a way to affect him and also find a way at the same time to limit those big plays. We're really going to have to trust our secondary here, and I think I believe they can do especially if we get Tyson Campbell back and he's playing at anywhere near the level that he was playing at before he got hurt. Because, guys, he was having a stellar start to the year. According to Sports Info Solutions, he was only allowing completions 11% of the time that he was targeted before the injury, and only allowing 1.9 yards per attempt. So if he's playing anywhere close to that, and we don't know, it's so hard to say with the injury, is he back to 100%, we don't know. Uh, is he, Even if he's back to 100%, is he a little rusty? It's just so hard to tell. But if he's playing anywhere near that, I feel pretty good. I like our safeties. The one area I am concerned about, as we let out earlier, is that star position. Mark Webb is a guy, and he lost some, he's lost some playing time over the past couple weeks. He got dinged up a little bit against South Carolina and then didn't really play all that much against Kentucky. Devon Wilson's getting a lot of that playing time. But Mark Webb, guys, I mean, he's got 10 targets. He's been targeted 10 times in the year, giving up nine completions for essentially 15 yards per attempt, again, according to Sports Info Solutions. So that's the area I'm concerned about. I think we'll see a lot more of Devon Wilson. But, if, again, if we can get some pressure and find a way to hold up enough in-man coverage on the outside – then I think that we're going to have a good chance to win this football game. But that does it for us here today, guys, on the Glory UJ podcast. We greatly appreciate you guys supporting us here on the Glory UJ podcast and, and taking time out of your day to listen to our show. And hopefully we were able to do our end of the deal and give you guys as detailed of a breakdown of this game as you will find anywhere. Make sure to check back with us tomorrow. Charlie and I will be back with a guest host, and we will reveal our picks of the week, obviously including this big-time SEC East matchup. We'll give you our picks for this Georgia-Florida game and kind of where our heads are at. But thanks again, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, Go dogs.